Welcome to the third season of PEBC's Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. My name is Michelle Morris-Jones, and in this season, I'll be sharing conversations with educators and leaders who are making schools and classrooms more phenomenal than ever before by implementing community, planning, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment practices that promote agency, equity, and understanding for each and every learner. I am honored to share these conversations of innovation and passion with all of you. Thank you so much for listening in. In Phenomenal Teaching, Wendy Ward-Hoffer begins her chapter on assessment by asking a series of questions. In what ways might we monitor and support progress? What might we gather as evidence of understanding? In what ways might we promote learners' agency through assessment? It is with these questions in mind that Dr. Sarah Zerwin and PEBC Lab host Jen Bronner join me today to talk about the quandary of grading. Sarah is the author of Pointless, an English teacher's guide to more meaningful grading, a high school English teacher, and an instructional coach. Jen is a middle school language arts teacher who embraces planning life-worthy units of study for her students and uses the workshop model to foster her young adults' literacy skills and passions, yet finds herself wondering about what to do about grades and assessments. Sarah and Jen, welcome to the Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. How are you? Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having us today. Hi, Michelle. I'm so glad to be back. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, it is such a pleasure to have this conversation because I'm so intrigued by Sarah's book, Pointless. I have been talking to so many teachers about grading and assessment. And I think, you know, in this kind of post-COVID era of returning to school, we're reimagining a lot of our practices. And one of those practices is kind of what to do with a grade book. And so, Sarah, I'd love to start off by learning a little bit more about you and and just hearing your story. Do you mind telling us just a little bit about your book and what motivated you to write Pointless? Yeah, so there's, there is a story here to this um, because the book actually started as a book about workshop in high school and all the obstacles that teachers have in their minds about writing workshop. And so that's the book that I um, started trying to write. And it was in a direct response to a challenge that Penny Kittle made to me and my colleagues um, several years ago when she was a keynote speaker at the Colorado Language Arts Society Conference. She came to our session and at the end of our session, she challenged us to write. She said, you all should write about all of this because you're addressing all of the questions I get from teachers from across the country. And so I, I you know, we, my colleagues and I uh, sat down and tried to do the writing together. And I was the only one who was crazy enough to actually keep going. <laughs> and so, um, so when I had a proposal, um, I kept in touch with Penny and she suggested me to send it to her editor at Heinemann. And so I did. And it was this proposal about, like I said, a book about workshop at high school. And, um, and her, her editor responded with, you know, there's definitely a, a need for this book. I don't think you've quite hit it yet, but what about that chapter on grading? And so she had seen this potential in this chapter on grading. And my, my intent with that chapter on grading was um, that I, I wanted to make the argument that with workshop, students have to be free to take risks and grades get in the way of that. They can't take risks if they're worried about 
a high stakes grade on everything that they do. And I mean, you know that writing uh, to really grow as a writer, sometimes things don't go very well. (laughs) You know, you're taking risks and you're pushing it and you're trying to go outside of what you know how to do. And um, students will not be safe to do that if there's a grade constantly hanging over their heads. So I knew that I wanted to make this argument about grading um, at that, you know, in that part of the book to, to help teachers really think about, huh, like how is my grading getting in the way of my students being able, being able to grow as writers? So, um, so, but my editor, who was Katie Woodray, um, it was just amazing that I got the chance to work with her. Mm-hmm. She really helped me think about that and blowing it up a little bit bigger. We worked together for about three years before I even had a contract. And um, I just kept sending stuff to her and she kept sending me feedback. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, as long as Katie Woodray keeps responding to me, I'm going to keep at this. Absolutely. And in that time, <laughs> she she did two really important things for me. One is that she helped me learn how to write for an audience of teachers rather than an audience of academics. Cause you know, as a, you know, you know, having a, a doctorate in education, I learned how to write for an audience of academics and they have very different needs than teachers who are working, you know, in classrooms and have very little time have. So she really had to like untrain me from academic mm, writing yeah. and help me understand how to write in a really clear, concise and helpful way for teachers And then she also, I think I needed those three years to really hone the process um, that you see in the book now. Um, And at one point she even said, why don't you take take a step away from these chapters you're trying to write and just write some short form writing. Um, And so I wrote a blog series uh, where I wrote every step of the process. Um, I wrote it while it was during a fall semester. And every time I did something about my gradeless classroom, I sat down and wrote a blog post about that one thing that really helped me. Um, so I needed the three years to hone it all and make it something that could be actually become a book. Um, and so anyhow, once we got the contract, the rest of it kind of, once it was ready and she took it forward and, um, you know, we got the contract, the rest of it went, went, um, a little bit faster. And I just have to say that like, ever since I was a brand new teacher, I like had this dream of being able to write a book about my classroom. So I'm kind of amazed that it actually happened. Um, So congratulations. And listening to your story, I don't know about you, Jen, but I'm thinking about Sarah as a writer and taking risks with her own writing and Mm -hmm. really the amount of revision I can't even imagine, um, especially in that three-year process of really trying to convey your message in a way that you felt like would reach your audience. In what ways did that shape some of the practices that you put in place or that you Mm -hmm. talked about in the book? Oh, so, I mean, so much really. Um, I mean, I often tell my students about this. And I, I have never actually gone through to try to count up how many words I wrote in the process of writing the book that will never see the light of day. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's thousands, you know, yeah. and easily. And so I, I share that with my students to help them understand like the process is what's important. And so I'm really trying to get the students focused on the process rather than evaluating some end product you know, to get like right there in the weeds and doing the process of the reading and the writing work rather than worrying about an exam score or a rubric score or a perfect polished final draft. Um, It's that process where 
all the learning happens. Um, and it's that process I went through that got me to the point where I could write, I could write this book. So, um, I, you know, I'm still like trying to figure out how to emphasize process over product, um, in new and better ways every year. That's a, a growth area for me constantly. So, so but grades then, get in the way of yeah. the, you know, of the process. They, they get kids focused on the wrong things. Well, and I think that's what's so interesting about your book is that the title is Pointless. And then the subtitle is An English Teacher's Guide to More Meaningful Grading. And so I th- for readers who aren't familiar with this text yet, um, is the book really about eliminating grades? So I teach in a school where I can't completely eliminate grades. Um, my school administration is very clear on this. Like I have to have a grade at the end of the semester that goes on the transcript because my school does not want to be a school that doesn't play along with what most colleges are looking for. So I can't completely ignore that. I also can't um, not have data in my gradebook right. because my whole community uses the gradebook data for a whole bunch of reasons. We pull reports out of the gradebook all the time to monitor how our sc- students are doing. I mean, there's from athletic eligibility to just longitudinal data that our administration maintains just to track trends and look for hotspots and everything else. So I can't refuse to have information in my gradebook that will help for that. I just have to have thought about how to hack it and recast it so that it's meaningful for my students. And so the number that's in the gradebook constantly is not a grade. It's a completed work percentage is what I tell them. And I say, your job is to keep it at 100%. If it's not 100%, that means something is missing or not complete. If you don't know what it is, talk to me. I mean, this is literally on my lesson plan every single Monday. The number you see in Infinite Campus is not your grade. It's just a metric to let us know if we're keeping up with the work or not. Your job is to keep it at 100%. It is only one data point we will consider when we, you and I determine your semester grade. Every Monday, I say the exact same thing because I'm most concerned that they understand how it all works and less concerned that everybody else does. <laughs> most concerned <laughs> that my students get it. Sarah, well, I'm like relieved to hear you say you need to do that every week because I was mm-hmm. this is the first year for me implementing it. Every week I find I'm like, wait, no, it's not a grade. They're like, I have an A. I'm like, no, you don't have an A. <laughs> and I need to start now putting that on my every Monday slide. I mean, I've yeah. seen it constantly. I just need to yeah. put it into my routine because it is yep. a massive swing shift for them. Well, Jen, we are, we are, um, we are disrupting a, an enormous system, right? Right. It's this whole grade thing is, it's this, there's this exchange, you know, that is organized as schooling in America. That's about asking kids to do stuff and then paying them with points and grades that they can then cash in for things that matter to them from college admissions to, you know, car insurance discounts. <laughs> and so parent it is approval, um, all kinds parent of things. approval, all kinds of things. Right. And so the classroom orbits on that exchange and everything supports it. Like the grade books that we're supposed to, to use, like mm-hmm. by default, they ask for points and percentages. And so that's, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and people don't, we just do it without thinking about it. And so we are disrupting all of that by trying to do something different. And so we have to be constantly talking about it with our students so that they understand it. Like, again, it is most important that they understand it, yep. not so much that their parents do or that other teachers do or whatever. It's that the kids understand it all. 
because if they understand it, then there's no problem. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So for Jen, Jen, for you, why did you pick up Pointless? Why did you decide to read this text and then implement some of these ideas in your own classroom? Yeah, it's um, been a good journey so far this year working on it. But the why, I, I actually wanted to start it last year. And when um, COVID, just the online, I decided, no, I tabled it for a year. Um, and I was probably maybe three years ago before it got published, Sarah started talking with me and we were talking about, we we're talking about rubrics and the use of rubrics. And she was really pushing my thinking at the time, even then. Um, but even back then in a, 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 a language arts cohort uh, here through our district, Sarah had introduced just how she used the feedback comment section of Infinite Campus. And I started implementing that uh, probably three years ago after that time with our cohort. Part of why I started doing it is because I know that the power of learning is through the feedback and revision process. And so I just started using IC as a tool to help kids know, hey, I can go back to revise this. I can go back to revise this um, and putting comments in there. And part of why I wanted to do that was to just keep reinforcing that learning, that loop in that learning process. But I think even beyond all of that, I used to teach in a portfolio-based school where the emphasis was kids showing a body of work at the end of the year. And we had check-ins during the year, but that body of evidence of their growth and then reflections of why this piece showed their growth, where they started, where they ended, was some of the most powerful learning experiences that I've ever gotten to see kids have. And um, where really they, they self-reported their growth and we didn't judge it on an A, B, or C. It was a passage of their growth and they had to, they had to just demonstrate it and name it and reflect on it. And so pointless for me, as I kept hearing it from Sarah, and then when I finally read the whole book, I thought, oh, this is the best way I can in a more traditional system that's not a portfolio-based school. We don't have this whole culture around that. I can start to go back to some of that emphasis on growth and goal setting that's tied to all that we're doing. Um, it just it just spoke to me as a way to bring back, I had been doing goal setting, but it, it felt very disconnected from the grade book. I'd been doing feedback, but kids weren't always kind of connecting that into the power of the process of revising their thinking. And so this system starts to bring it all together for me. And that's the part that I'm really excited about. Um, is, is being able to kind of merge. I Since I had come back into a more of a traditional school setting, I'd been struggling a lot with the grade book. <laughs> so um, I'm really excited to be implementing it. So this is my first year implementing it fully. Thanks, Jen. So I think I want to throw things back to Sarah. Sarah, I'm wondering if before we kind of move into kind of some specifics, if you might paint the broad picture um, of kind of what does this look like and sound like? across a quarter, across a semester, across the year? Because I know that listeners right now are like, wait a second, I'm, pre I'm kind of creating an idea in my mind, but I don't quite have all the pieces I need to really have that vision. Yeah, so uh, it starts actually with an honest conversation with students about their behaviors as students. Before I say anything about grades, before I say anything about what we're studying in the class, it's all about 
hey, let's talk about you as students and what you have been doing that helps you learn or not learn. And so I put this big chart up on the board and the first column is um, behaviors that students do that lead to points, but don't, but not learning. And it, this doesn't take very long. The kids get it. They know how they've been playing the game to collect points, to get the grades, regardless of what they're learning. And so they fill that chart up so fast. These are all the things that students do that earn points, but don't lead to learning. Um, and then the next column is what are things that students do that lead to no points and no learning? You know, so there they're saying like, well, you ditch class and you, you know, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. And then the last column is what are things that students do that lead to learning regardless of points? And there the kids start saying things like, well, like you actually read the book and you come to class and you pay attention and you ask the teacher for help when you need it and you do the work as, um, you know, as meaningfully as you can. So, so we've got on the board, all these learning behaviors organized by like stuff that actually helps you learn and stuff that doesn't help you learn. And then I just say to the kids, um, let's make a chart in your writer's notebook, just a more or less chart. And on the more side, I want you to write down the things you're going to do more of to become a better learner. And on the less side, the things you're going to do less of to become a better learner. And for the first few weeks of class, I literally just want you to work on improving your learning behaviors. I'm going to ask you every week to look at this chart. You're going to make some notes. Um, I'm going to be collecting some stuff in the grade book. It might look a little different than what you are used to seeing. We'll talk more about it later. But literally, the only thing you could do right now to hurt your grade would be to not do the work. So let's just do the work, try to get better as learners and students. And, and we'll just, you know, we'll reconvene this conversation in a few weeks. So, so that's where we start. And I mean, I can see the kids like stress just fall off of their shoulders and they're like, wait, seriously, I just have to like do the work and that's it and try to get better at my, as a learner. I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's all. Let's just start there. So after we've gone about four or five weeks um, and that, and that seems like a good time because they've done, they've got an idea of what the work of the class looks like. That's when I give them they're the learning goals for the course. And so chapter two in the book is all about ending up with a nice tight set of learning goals that can sit at the center of your classroom. If you're going to get rid of that, that points for compliance, grades for compliance exchange that organizes the classroom and everything orbits around, you've got to put something else in its place. I made a mistake my first semester throwing out grades by putting all of the common core standards in the middle. It's too many. It's too, mm -hmm. it's like so diffuse that it might as well not be anything. And it was not something that my students and I could look at together to anchor our work at all. And so now I have this nice tight set of 10 learning goals that are a sort of a distillation of the, the um, curricular expectations for my class. So then I give them those learning goals and we talk about, you know, how are we already doing these things? What would it look like to be successful with these learning goals? And I give them a little bit of time to think, you know, like tomorrow I want you to come in and maybe identify which three you want to focus on for you this, this semester, which three you really want to grow in. And so, um, and so then once they've identified their three, um, we've got to make a plan, a plan for learning and growth. And I, I coach the kids through this by doing it, doing, making a plan myself. I like take the class goals and I choose three for me. And I make them actually real. And I, I write goals for myself based on those that I really want to work on as a reader and a writer and a thinker. And so, and I have the kids help me 
to figure out, you know, if I say to the kids, this is where I'm at with this goal and this is where I want to end up, help me. How can I get there? What things can I do? And so as they are throwing ideas out at me, um, as crazy as like, you don't get to eat your morning oatmeal until you write a sentence about, you know, (laughs) that you're working on or something. I mean, they throw me all kinds of things or they'll just say, well, just write more. And I'll say, well, that's really squishy. How do I like, that's not, how can I focus on that? Like help me. And so eventually we like hone it down and they give me some really clear um, strategies I can work on. And then it's like, okay, now your turn, like start with, where are you with each of your goals? Where do you want to end up and how, what are you going to work on to get there? And so once they have that plan in place, um, then I teach them how to track their progress. I give them the gradebook data I've been collecting on them. And I say, highlight on here, like which, which of this um, information helps you to monitor your goals and which other information that's not on here do you need to look at to monitor your goals? Okay, let's set up some tools in your writer's notebook so you can monitor your goals. And I give them lots of examples and they have to set that up. And then every week we um, go back to their their progress monitoring pages and I give them a few minutes of class and I say, check the grade book and check whatever other sources of information you need to look at and, and uh, you know update how you're doing on your goals. So we do that for the rest of the semester. Um, we do have to put in, I have to put in progress goals every six weeks or progress grades, excuse me, every six weeks. So I let the students tell me what grade to put in. And at that point, I give them the grade descriptions. Um, that it's a document that my students and I have been working on for a few years now um, that just describes, this is what an A looks like. This is what a B looks like. This is what a C looks like. And they assess themselves against those at each of those progress periods. So I know that they're familiar with what we're going to use at the end of the semester to determine their grade. And um, it just gives them a chance to do some self-evaluation and set some goals towards that. And then at the end of the semester, they write a letter to me that's in the form of a story where they tell the story of their journey as a learner. And in so doing, they select the grade that they think fits their journey. Um, And then I usually agree. And if we don't agree, then we do a little bit of back and forth. I might invite them to do a little bit more writing, like maybe more detail in their story, or um, you missed a few assignments, or you could you know, do them a little more fully. Would you want to do that? Um, but most of the time we agree and then we move forward from there. So, wow. um, and those are, those letters are, are in, you know, several are in the book because for me every year when I'm every semester, when I'm reading those letters, I'm like, yes, this is exactly the right thing to be doing for my students. And um, so I wanted my readers to see those because I think that that's the most persuasive piece about like why you should think about, you know, moving away from traditional grading like let the students convince you, listen to the, how much agency they have about themselves as learners. And Sarah, that's what, you know, jumps off the pages for me. I feel like I know your students after reading the book. I feel like I have such a deep understanding of them as readers and writers and thinkers and the agency and just seeing those kind of you know, six week checks and, and the things that they would write and what they wrote in their letters with their journeys. I just think it's incredible the ways in which you trust kids to be smart and authentic and honest and goal-oriented for themselves. Yeah. It's it, it's absolutely gorgeous. So Jen, it's I can see why you would pick up the book as soon as it just came off the press, knowing that you know Sarah and had been working on some of these practices before. So Jen, you mentioned that this is the first year for you to really try to embrace the practices described in the book and to reimagine your own assessment 
practices, if you will, that fit into this kind of traditional model at your particular school, but having a meaningful assessment policy, not policy, but practice, if you will. So I'm curious for you, what, what is your starting point and how's it going? Um, my, you know, kind of my entry point, I, I really followed a, very closely Sarah's map in the book. And, and I, um, she said earlier in her intro that she, she was, you know, got clear and concise, um, it was clear, concise, and helpful when she was starting to do the blogs and to really name everything of her process. And I have to say, it is it is um, it is just such a great read and a great process to follow as an educator um, when you sit down and read the book. And um, so I started and did a lot of the same things that she just described as far as having kids set some um, goals. I didn't spend as much time doing the more or less. And it's something that came back to get me <laughs> a little bit. I did some of it. Um, and I realized that I needed to do a little bit more of it. And part of it is I'm in middle school. And so one of the things that I came to at the end of reading Sarah's book is that I felt like my middle schoolers needed a little bit more frequent check-ins, um, unit grade letters as opposed to semester grade letters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've done our first unit grade letter, like we've gone through the whole process. And I also didn't give them as much choice in the beginning. I'm, I'm gradually releasing that choice of the goal setting over the year. I had everyone pick one reading goal for the first round. Um, so that we could all model and walk through that process together. I did my own reading goal and then we worked on reflecting on it. You know, so my entry point really was just kind of following the map of Sarah's book, but tweaking it to what I thought my students needed. Um, And it's been pretty exciting. Um, And kids really, like you said, for the most part, took on that reading goal. And um, I focused mine around the thinking strategies and having kids really just pay attention to that conversation voice or kids just really wanted to focus in on fix-up strategies. Like, what do I do when I get stuck? Or kids who just picked one strategy and wanted to track it. Or kids who were like, I want to know all seven thinking strategies and I'm going to track all of that. Like it was just, I gave them choice in that realm of being conscious and I tied it into just the importance of our choice reading practices that we have and building into those habits. So in their letters, it was super fun to see how many students were like, I always thought reading and, you know, I used to do reading logs and it was just like what I read and how many pages. And they're like, but this was the first log I really enjoyed because I actually got to just share about my thinking. And now I realize I think so much when I read. And so it was just delightful to read that in so many of the letters. Um, I would say one of the challenges I ran into was kids weren't really quite sure how to assess themselves. They'll be like, I might be an A, I might be a B, or we were disconnected, right? Like I anticipated that I would have very few kids that I was different from, and I had a lot more than I thought, where they thought they were at a certain level than I was. And so my first reflection on that was, I don't think I modeled enough for them. I don't think I gave them enough time to go back into IC and really look at how each piece of the grade book data fits into the grade criteria. And I don't think I was explicit enough for middle schoolers 
with the grade book criteria I or the grade criteria, you know, what makes an A, what makes a B was explicit enough. So I was like, all right, you guys, I, I threw up my grade criteria sheet and said, just what I just said to you guys, I don't think I modeled enough for you. And I don't think I gave you enough information. And in, you know, a different color font, I put in all the new like criteria, like, let's talk about what this really is. And then I gave them a copy anonymous of several different kids grade descriptions and said, just play with it. Like, what would you, where would you put this person? Where would you put this person? Okay. Now go back to your own work. You know, what, where do you think you are? Where, where's your, go back to your growth in, in your reading goal. And so that's when that was a great learning process for me, right? Like it was pretty, a little messy, a little clunky. And now I was like, Oh, and so now kids, several kids were able to be like, Oh, this is where I am. Mm. <laughs> and now there's a few that are still just like, I don't know, there's a dissonance of me switching this grade system to them. And I will keep hearing like, but my parents just want me to have a 4.0. And so we're just coming back to some of those conversations. I think you said it really well, Sarah, that disrupting, right? And so we're just coming back and saying, all right, here's our grade criteria. Here's where you are. Where, you know, where do you come to? And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that every kid's like, great, I get it, Miss Bronner. There's a few that aren't, but there's also several that were like, actually, yeah, I'm here, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's, it's been a good discovery process for me. And I keep trying to give myself grace to be like, it's your year one, you know, uh, what's my inquiry? My inquiry is like, well, if I scaffold more and I give kids, so now I'm in unit two. So if I've, I've, I've scaffolded more, but by giving them more time to reflect more frequently, like Sarah said, every week, and then I've given them more clear descriptions. Um, my inquiry question is, so will kids be more successful, a larger number of kids be more successful in that self-evaluation? I think they will. Um, because I fundamentally believe that kids know where they are. Right. They do. Yeah. So anyway, I, that, that, that's been my starting point. Um, and it's, I, I, and then now in unit two, they got to pick their goal. So I have, uh, eight that I've mapped out. I know Sarah has seven. And so there's five that they can pick from, and now they've gotten to pick one goal this time around. So again, I'm not having them pick three yet. There's, there's just habits of a successful kind of academic student that everybody has to do. So they're still paying attention to that, but, you know, writing or reading or vocabulary or speaking and listening, because we've got all that going on in this unit, they got to have choice this time. And that's been really fun. And they're in like little groups kind of talking to each other, like, well, what are you doing? And how, you know, what, what did you get better at? So giving them some time to think, to work in small groups who had like goals has also been fun. Jen, thank you so much for sharing. Sarah, it must be really interesting for you to listen to Jen talk about her process. So what did that elevate for you? What are you thinking about based on what Jen shared about her entry points and starting off the year? Well, as you know, Jen is such an amazing teacher and educator and thoughtful. Yes. And I mean, in many ways, she has mentored my thinking, you know, in the time that I've known her. So um, I feel so lucky to be able to sit here and listen to you, Jen, talk about how it's going in your room and just amazing. And um, I mean, I, I my intention with the book was always to sort of throw out there, this is the process that I have figured out, um, you know, 
you're the professional, you know, your kids and your, your context best, what works for you. So I love that Jen has, you know, instead of doing a semester, you know, process, she's doing it unit by unit because she knows that her middle school kids need just a little bit more uh, support and a little bit more often and like repeat the process more. But, you know, just like with anything, like my favorite workshop book is Katie Wood Ray's about the authors, about kindergarten through second grade, Mm -hmm. right? There are Mm -hmm. so many things in that book that can help me to think about my high school workshop. And so so I'm listening to Jen talk and like so convincingly about, about, you know, doing the process, going through it more frequently. I'm thinking, huh, I wonder how that would benefit my students. Maybe I should try that. Um, I'm teaching sophomores for the first time right now um, in, you know, over a decade. So a lot of the book was developed while my brain was, there were a couple of years in there when I was teaching freshmen, but mostly 12th graders. And so I think that the picking three goals is very appropriate to 12th graders. Mm -hmm. But with my 10th graders, I picked one and I wrote it for all of them because it was something that my colleagues and I have noticed they're all struggling with, which is about um, too easily turning to distractions when things are difficult, picking up their phone, chit-chatting with their neighbor, rather than digging into something that's challenging. And so we really, we feel like it's a sort of a a Mm -hmm. last year online schooling thing where, you know, they were just by themselves in their, in their room and they could do whatever they wanted to when like school wasn't going the way that they wanted it to. So um, anyhow, so I wrote a goal for them. And then I also said, I picked a reading goal for everybody, but I want you to rephrase it in your own words so that you can like personalize it to you and then pick another goal on your own. That's your personal goal. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I did that so that I could do more modeling with them and more, um, you know, specific scaffolding around those pieces so that they could be as successful as possible. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there, there needs to be, the process needs to be tweaked for the kids that are sitting in front of you, whatever that means. And Jen, you said it's messy and it's a journey and you're just figuring it out. And Mm -hmm. I tell you, like my first pointless gradeless semester was um, 2014, spring of 2014. It started in January, 2014. And every semester it is still messy and a journey (laughs) and I'm still figuring it out because the kids are different every semester. I'm different every semester. The world is different every semester. You know, so the core of it is there and the core is like, take out the exchange, the points for compliance exchange and put learning in the center with a really nice tight set of learning goals and then teach the kids how to set goals and monitor their progress and then write about that to select their grades. Like that core is still there and I don't think I will ever stop doing that, but the details, that's what changes based on the needs of the kids sitting in front of me every year. So. And then I also, you know, find out how my smart colleagues like Jen are doing things. And I'm like, Ooh, that's, that's great. I'm going to do that. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Well, I feel like our conversation has really elevated that craft that teachers bring to their classrooms and the ways in which you take an amazing idea, incredible research, and you adjust it to meet the needs of your students at that time in your classroom with those learners. And so hearing the flexibility and the crafts, the sense of craft from both of you is just so energizing Mm -hmm. because this isn't a lockstep process. It isn't a lockstep program. It really is. I think, as you just said, Sarah, take out the points for compliance exchange, put the goals at the center, and then give kids an opportunity to have ownership 
and to demonstrate agency and to strive for those goals, to be metacognitive, to have opportunities to do things again, to make revisions, to really focus on process because that's the goal, right? We want readers and writers and speakers and listeners who can communicate in this crazy world. Mm-hmm. Yep. And at a really high level. And so I think that that's, you know, it gets back to the very beginning of our conversation, Sarah, when you were talking about your process and how this actually started out as a book about workshop and how do we really elevate opportunities for writers to be writers and to write in school. And so one thing that I'm taking away from our conversation is that in a compliance system, we can't take risks. And we don't have opportunities to practice and we don't have opportunities to make the revisions in a way that's authentic, that really, really promotes growth, especially as writers and as readers. I'm curious for each of you, you know, as we wrap up our conversation today, what is your call to action? You know, what are you walking away from this conversation feeling invigorated with or, or what would you like to, you know, pose as that call to action to the, the teachers who are listening. I think another piece of it too, Michelle, is that um, the compliance thing gets in the way in so many ways because it teaches the students that what matters is the grade. And so they'll take the shortcuts. I mean, this goes back to Alfie Cohn's research. You know, they'll take the shortcuts to get there and they won't actually do the work. You know, and what you said about opening up space for them to, you know, write and revise and get into the mess of it all is so, so, so important. Um, and it's just so funny how things, um, I don't know, things swirl, right? I had a conversation in my office with two of my colleagues just yesterday about this. And my colleague, Jay, who, by the way, started moving away from points and grades before I did and was pestering me to do it. <laughs> And you can find a blog post from February of 2012 with me arguing back at him, I have to grade until the system changes, Jay. I don't know what you're doing. So anyhow, um, so I didn't like, this didn't all start with me, just have to tell you. But Jay was saying today, or maybe it was yesterday, that the um, he's just realizing more and more that the importance, the most important thing is that we figure out how to get the kids to do the thing to do the writing, to do the reading, to do it in class when we are with them Mm -hmm. and to remove any obstacles that are getting in the way, like grades, you know, Mm. that they just need to be doing the thing. If we want them to be people who can read and write and communicate and think and be in charge of their own destinies, because those things help us to do that and to manage the complexity of our lives and our world and still be able to have control and agency over their own their own future, you know, they've got to practice doing the things in our classrooms. So we've got to remove any obstacles. We've got to remove anything that gets in the way of them being able to do the work authentically. Thanks. Jen, how about for you? Kind just say ditto. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I mean, everything that Sarah said is, is, also within my call to action of why I'm doing this and, and what I want schools to be, you know, for all learners. Um, I think the thing I'd also just share is that I feel like one of the life worthy pieces of this process is that 
kids just have to keep coming back to this place of honesty and reflection for themselves, right? Um, and we're giving them permission to say, just be where you are, right? And if you want to strive and stretch here, go. And if you're like, I can't right now, it's okay. Um, and and I I th- I feel like that's just a um, it allows to bring in some of that humanity, you know, I mean, I, sometimes I go, I keep going back a little bit to your first podcast of this season with Sam Bennett around humanizing schools Absolutely. and this place of like, come a little bit back to the humanity and this pressure cooker of grades and school and all of that. And you're going to eight classes a day and you're switching and you've got different teachers you're monitoring. Like, I try to remember that as much as I have new personalities coming to me, kids are going and interacting with just as many personalities and just as many systems, right? So like, how do I just help you continue to know yourself, know where your capacity is, be honest with the work you're doing and, and, and bring it back to, well, I really, I, and, and this is the part of it. I just love the goal setting part tied to it. I really want to get better at this part of the writing process or now I really want to get better at tracking vocabulary and using vocabulary in my writing. Like it's just really cool to see, especially this second unit that I'm in where kids have had choice in their personal goal um, based on the goals that I give them. Right. I mean, we're not talking about a free for all here. Like that. I, I want to just share that too. This is not just a like, Oh, we're not doing really incredible work in our class. You know, there is some incredible thinking, um, and projects happening right now. And, and there is structure that, that, that kids have that they're following. Um, but they have choice within that. So yeah, I just, I guess maybe the call is just, it's another way to help us humanize the space that we have when we're with kids. Thank you both so much for joining me today and to share your thinking. Um, I think this is an incredible, incredible text and incredible mm-hmm. stories. And I, I hope folks just like run right to their computers and order it up <laughs> because it is agreed delicious, delicious way to, to think about assessment and grading in all sorts of new ways. So Sarah, thank you so much and yes. your colleagues and mm-hmm. just pouring your thinking into this this idea, this concept, like you said, like, how can we disrupt this system? And Jen, thank you so much for sharing your process and your vulnerability as you have put something new into practice. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for the invitation, Michelle. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening in. The Phenomenal Teaching Podcast is brought to you by PEBC, Public Education and Business Coalition, and is intended to elevate the strands of the PEBC teaching framework, which is illustrated in Wendy Wardhofer's book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, but works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding for each and every learner. PEBC provides customized on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. Thank you.